Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. Five, and Morgan shared with you Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus the suffering servant. This whole middle section... Um, perfect segue for this morning's sermon. This whole middle section of Isaiah are called the suffering, the songs of the suffering servant. And many of them are prophecies of Jesus Christ. They were written by Isaiah as God gave him utterance. And they are, there are many prophecies. They were written about 700 years before Christ, 600, 700 years before Christ was born. And then she read the scripture in Revelation, right? Who is worthy to open the scrolls? That has not happened yet. But we know following the second coming of Christ, when he comes as a conquering king and not a suffering servant. And that is why John, in the Gospel of John, so prophecy past, future not yet. And then the Gospel of John, John says when he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why John referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God. So we're here right at the end of these in Isaiah chapter 55, the end of the Psalms of the Suffering Servant. And Isaiah, God, is making a call to his people through the prophet Isaiah. So they are in exile, and they are in slavery to Babylon because of their sinfulness. God is disciplining them, and God is saying here in these chapters that this will not last forever, that they will again and soon have freedom. So that is where this chapter, when and where this chapter is being written. But in this middle section of Isaiah, again, God promises that exiled Israel will again experience freedom. God, who has disciplined them in Babylon, will not stay angry with them. So throughout these songs songs of the suffering servant, he uses the language of the courtroom, the temple, the funeral parlor, even marriage, I believe, in 54. And now in 55, he turns to the language of the marketplace as Andrew says in his commentary on, uh, on the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah, speaking on God's behalf, is crying out in the public square, maybe even at the city gates, to his people. It is, um, the city gates is where everyone gathered. That's where business was done. A lot of the time, the elders of the city were there, and uh, decisions were made. Governing was done. Uh, a lot of buying and selling took place just inside and right outside the city gates. So you picture, so you picture Isaiah crying out, and in our first slide, um, I even say to you that in Isaiah 55, God is offering the best deal ever to his people. Now, short of trying to sound like a used car salesman, right? Or someone calls you on the phone, I guess, nowadays, right? These people get your phone number, right? Have we got a deal for you? And then you hang up the phone because you know, right? But, but God is saying here in Isaiah 55, everyone who thirsts come to the waters, and you who have no money come buy and eat. So the waters represent 
the waters in the scripture often and most often represent life, right? Um, um, the living water, if you will. So he's saying, if you want life, come here. Everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And he says, you who have no money, come buy and eat. So in our first slide, we're listening to the author in verses 1 through 5 that God is making to his people. And I will say, as the gospel is being preached in the Old Testament here, making the same offering to you and me. There's one thing, um, there's one thing that I will share with you in verses 1 through 3 regarding listening. When the Bible repeats something, when God repeats himself, it bears our, it bears our attention. He says in verse 2, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And then he says in verse 3, incline your ear. So to incline means to lean in so that you can hear. If you're saying something and I can't hear you very well, or if you're saying something, someone is saying something really important and you know that it's important, you want to lean in so that you can hear them. And then he says a third time right after that, listen that you may live. So he says listen three times. He says listen, lean in and listen. And as a matter of fact, listen really carefully because this is your life. So we're talking about something serious here. That's our first clue. When God says through the prophet, listen, listen, listen. He says, um, you who have no money, come buy wine and milk. The Israelites were enslaved to in Babylon now because of their disobedience to God. So they were a poor people at this time. Buying wine and milk would have been luxuries for them. It would have been something that they could not afford. The writer is saying, come, all you who are thirsty, all you who want the things you can't afford, listen carefully because I am going to give them to you. But so what do these things symbolize? What does the wine and the milk symbolize? And when he says, eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance, we have these clues. This is poetry. And you know, I struggled with poetry in Bible college. I thought it was a yawner. And God got me real good because I love the poetry. And I have to limit myself. Poetry is dense and rich. And when you begin to unpack it, it there's just so much there. But so, in the next slide, here's what the writer is talking a little bit about in these first five verses. He's talking about life-giving water. Remember when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well? I think it was John chapter 4. Um, you can correct me later if I'm wrong. Jesus replied to her, um, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is having a conversation with a woman. Um, that a man was not supposed to even be talking to back then. Jesus broke social norms. He broke religious rules. He was in public with a woman who did not have the best reputation in the world at the well in the middle of the day when women weren't normally there. And he was having a conversation with this woman. Jesus was a rule breaker. And so Jesus said, if you knew lady who was talking to you, you would have asked him for living water and he would have given it to you. So Jesus is saying to her, I am the life-giving water that you need. She was at the well. The women would, 
early in the morning, get the water at the well, take it back to the house and take it back for everything that they needed. While she was there in the middle of the day, probably spoke a little bit to her reputation. She was probably not welcome to be there early in the morning with the other women. But yet Jesus had a message for her. And so he says again, um, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, uh, John chapter 7, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scriptures say, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But he said this in reference to the Holy Spirit, whom those believed in him were to receive. For, you know, the Spirit was not yet given. Uh, as a matter of fact, and I'll, I'll stop with this one, because this is a sad verse in Jeremiah 2.13, and God is chastising his people. He says through the prophet Jeremiah, for my people have committed two evils. They have also, um, oh wow, they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, to carve out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that do not hold water. So you know what they did? They dug holes in the ground and they put bricks in them and they would try to save and preserve some water so that they could use it. And even if it wasn't, they would try to drink it, but if it didn't last, they would use it for other things. But God says, instead of coming to me, the source of living water, they tried to get it for themselves. And as a matter of fact, when like the Israelites or not much unlike the Israelites, sometimes you and I, we will try to dig our own wells and we will try to hold for ourselves and to get for ourselves what God has already promised to give us in so much more abundance. And we will sweat and hurt and break our backs and wreck relationships and charge through life at 80 miles, 80 miles an hour. Well, I used to go 80 on a slow day and try to get for myself what God has already promised me in abundance. Oh my. Jeremiah convicted me hard this week when I was studying the scriptures. Um, he says, so they have dug these wells, and guess what? The wells we dig for ourselves, they don't hold up. They don't hold up. The water we put in them, it disappears. Our wells have holes in them. They can't satisfy us. So apart from God, when God says, listen, um, that you may live, or he says, delight yourself in abundance. God always gives us, when we rely on him, when we come to him, the living water, he gives us so much more than what we could ever, so much more joy, so much more fulfillment. He gives us salvation. We want to earn it. And he says, no, it's free. Just come to me and trust me. He says, you're thirsty, right? I know y'all, I'm holding back. I want to be, but I'm not. I'm going to be respectful today, right? Right? Charlie, you thirsty. Yeah, you know why? Because I'm trying to get something on my own instead of letting God provide it for me. Oh my. Yeah, so I'm not going to, no, no jokes today, right? So God says he talks about living water. He talks about luxuries, right? We say we want to get to this certain point in life, right? I want to accomplish this. I want to have some prosperity. Those are not necessarily bad things. But what God is saying, if you rely on me, I'll give you what I already know you really need, and I will give it to you in abundance. 
Lots of good food, right? The song we used to sing with kids in my father's house. No, don't worry, I'm not going to sing. We'll do that one week, though. Uh, it was great because it talks about how God provides for us so much better than we could for ourselves. So we need to listen to the offer that God is bringing to the table. So we have these clues in verses 1 through 5. Uh, uh, next slide here, number 2. We see that it's a limited time offer. You know, there are places in the Bible where it says, Today, listen, today is the day of salvation. But listen in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So there is, there is a message here that God may not always strive with you and me. Now listen, we'll talk about other things like, like predestination and God calls us to salvation and how much free will do I have when I become... Look, we'll do all that another day. But what I see here in the scriptures that I know is accurate... God is telling his people who have strayed from him, that's why they're in trouble, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. He's telling them today, you need to do it today, don't put it off. Um, I could say it that way. Um, next slide. We see some things here like repentance, defining pardon, a crisis of belief, adjusting one's life and obeying God. Um, there was a guy who would talk about I'm just going to skip down because pardon is my favorite part, right? There was a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he was a pastor in Germany during World War II. He was a pacifist, and he was a great pastor, and he didn't believe in war until he saw all the, atrocity, the atrocities that Hitler was perpetrating on the Jews and others. And so he and several other people, many of whom were his family members, plotted to take Hitler out. As a matter of fact, there was a book that I recommend um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, Cost of Discipleship. I had to read that my first year of college and it changed my life. He talks about cheap grace and costly grace. So Bonhoeffer is in prison in 1943. Their attempt to take out Hitler had failed. And he and a lot of his family members got locked up. And he says, listen to what he says. He wrote letters. He said, a prison cell in which one waits and hopes does not various unessential things and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of advent it's not a bad picture of what jesus does for us he was a prisoner in a jail cell as a matter of fact if you don't know this he was executed in just days after he was i'm so mad i still get mad when i think about it he, he was executed, and then just days after that, the whole Nazi regime fell, and the war was over. Uh, and he was such a great man of God. Um, there was um, a princess, uh, Lala Salma. She gave birth to a daughter whose name was Lala Kahida. Her husband, King Mohammed of Morocco, I've always wanted to go to Morocco. It's on my bucket list. Morocco was delighted. In fact... You know how he celebrated the birth? Instead of giving out cigars, he pardoned 8,836 prisoners from jail and reduced the sentences of 24,218 others. This is a true story. The justice ministry said the pardons were a humanitarian 
gesture. What does God do when he saves us? Who gets a pardon, by the way? Guilty people. Guilty people are people who need a pardon. Now, so listen, some people have been declared, and we'll, we'll do this. Um, it it kind of goes against the whole illustration here. I understand that some people, some people are incarcerated and get pardoned because they find out that they never did the crime that they were convicted of. Amen. And that is justice. That is godly justice. But here he's talking about guilty people, you and me, who need a pardon that only Jesus can give. So in verses 6 through 9, um, and of course, the king, had, the king had the power to do that, to pardon those people. He had the power. He was the king or he was the prince. And when his daughter was born, he wanted to celebrate and he had the power to do that. Only God, his, through Jesus Christ, has the power to open the door from the outside that releases you and me from prison and invites us in to salvation. Amen? So we see in verses 6 through 9 that it's, it's possible that this is a limited time offer. God is calling his people and he's saying to them, return to the Lord and he will have compassion on you. And he will abundantly. So here's what God, again, he doesn't just pardon you, he will abundantly pardon you. He doesn't just meet your needs in verse 2, he meets your needs in abundance. This is how God loves you and loves me. And so we see this, and he says he will abundantly pardon you and me. We see the wicked man forsaking his way, and the unrighteous man, his thoughts. So when we do that, when I forsake my sinful ways and my unrighteous thoughts, and I return to the Lord, that is a picture of repentance. That is what repentance is. I turn away, I don't just turn away from something, but I also turn towards someone, and that is Jesus, amen? So he's given us this picture of salvation here in verses 6 through 9. And we see the Israelites will come to a crisis of belief, just like we talk about in experiencing God. Am I really going to trust God? Am I really going to just lay it all on the line and see it and trust God to give us back our freedom? Because if so, I'm going to adjust my life to what God is doing, right? So I'm going to trust God. I'm going to adjust my life. So I might have to change some things in my life that might be painful because that is what positions me to be able to obey God fully. I added the word fully. But so in experiencing God, we say I have a crisis of belief. causes me to have to adjust my life. I might have to change some things in my life. Not all of that's fun, right? Some things we do, sometimes it's not that outright horrible front, front page sinful news. No, it's those little willful things that we don't want to give up that hide behind the scenes, right? So I have to adjust those things in my life so that I am in a position to obey God. Then I walk, I live in that obedience. And that is what the writer is talking about here. Now, it's going to get... It's going to get good because hear what God says. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. He uses this beauty of parallelism in the, in the poetry. He says, just like the heavens are way higher than the earth, 
God says, so are my ways higher than your ways. God says, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God says, I don't think like you, so stop trying to do it your way. God says, and here's the poetry, right? Look back at verse 7. The wicked man forsakes his way and his thoughts. Why? Because in 8, God says, I don't think the way you people do, and I don't do the way you people do. You need to come and do it my way. So here's our biggest challenge sometimes to following Jesus, or, or Christian to live in obedience is, sometimes in this flesh and in this humanity, I still want to do it my way, right? I want to be in charge. I, I like the idea of God, right, and Jesus, and it all sounds good, but I still kind of want to be in charge. And until I'm ready to make those adjustments, I, I can live in a certain amount. And look, we go back and forth, right? I do, it, I, I do it often. In my willfulness, I take something back that I surrender to the Lord, right? Maybe God disciplines me and gets me back in line, or maybe I confess it, or one of you tell me what I'm doing, and I, and I confess it, and I get right. But, so, we have this idea. God says, I don't do it the way you do. I don't think the way you do, so you need to do it my way. Verses 6 through 9. Now, but in this deal, so we're seeing the clues. The clues, it's really kind of taking shape. God says, listen, if you come to me, I am going to give you rivers of living water. I'm going to give you wine and milk and food like, like in abundance like you've never had. What God's saying is I will meet your needs far and above anything you ever thought about to meet your own needs. So lastly, we see there's a lifetime warranty here. You know, sometimes you buy a car and they promise you a lifetime warranty, but it's really not because there's always some small print, right? But in verses 10 through 13, God gives us a couple more clues here. He says, For just as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God, we'll see in this next slide if it's up there already, God is a promise keeper. God always keeps his promise. Now, sometimes we say amen, praise the Lord. Sometimes we should be a little scared, right? But, but here, God is a promise keeper. God says, if I say it, I will do it. God says, if it's in my word, and it is, if it's in my word, I'm going to do it. You just have to trust me. God is a promise keeper. So in this offer of salvation, in this offer for those of us who are in poverty, in our sinfulness, and we come to God, he says, I will save you and meet your needs far beyond anything you could ever dream up yourself. He says it. I believe it. Did we just sing that? No, I heard it at the beginning of the service. Again, I'm not singing the song, I promise. But so God's word is guaranteed. So when you read God's word, if there's a promise in God's word, if there's a promise for the future, when God offers us salvation, when God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, when God says, if you're thirsty, if you're tired, all you are heavy burden and laden, come to me and I will give you rest. When God says that, you can bet he will do it. Some of us just need, you know what, try God. Try God. Say, Pastor, I'm going to try God this week. I'm going to, God said he would give me some peace. I'm going to come to him and say, God, give me peace your way. 
I have a need in my life that needs to be met and I have been unable to do it myself. I'm going to surrender it to God and ask Jesus to meet that need in my life this week. So next we see God's word and ways always succeed. We see that God is sovereign. God says, if I say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Also, we see here in verses 12 and 13 that God is sending, he is going to use the Israelites to fulfill his promise to Abraham and to David and a promise that includes you and me. Unless you are come from a very, very Jewish family, most of us here, we are, we are Gentiles, we are non-Jewish, right? God made a promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. He said, he said, your nation, Abraham and Sarah, who had zero children, right, until they had Isaac, God says, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and you're going to have children like the sand of the sand on the beach and like the stars in the sky. Abraham and Sarah scratch their heads, said, we don't even have one kid, Lord. What are you talking about? Then God said, and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All of the families of the earth are now being blessed through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who came to earth, lived, shed his blood on the cross, died, rose from the dead for our salvation. The promise to Abraham is being fulfilled through Jesus. And every time one of us gets saved, including our Jewish brothers and sisters, God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham and it will come to completion. And not only that, we skip the clue in verse 3. He says, according to the faithful mercies that I showed to David. So what, what kind of covenant relationship, what kind of relationship did God have with David? God told David, a king from your family, a king from your heritage, will sit on the throne of Israel forever. Go home and read Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 and 2 today, and you will see that Jesus Christ was a descendant of King David and Jesus Christ is the king and Jesus Christ is the king who's sitting on a throne even though we don't always see it. We see kingdoms at war here on this earth, amen? But Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne and he will sit on the throne for eternity and that's the promise that God made to David. Those promises are being fulfilled through Jesus. That was a really good clue and I skipped it so that's kind of like a I don't know. I hope you still appreciate that. So God says what I say I'm going to do. Not only that, in verses 12 and 13, he says he's going to send his people out to carry that message. And it will be like turning the desert into a beautiful garden. That's a short version. And some of you are saying, amen, I still smell food. But, and, and I always tell the story because it's a true story. It's something I experienced. Diane and I were in Egypt, and we were going all the way down to Sinai Peninsula, and our bus broke down. We were going to Sharm El Sheikh, all the way down to the Red Sea. Our daughter was taking us, and, and the bus broke down. They made us all get off the bus. I'm a little nervous, right? After all the armed guard checkpoints and everything, I'm a little nervous, right? Then they get all our luggage off the bus. I was like, oh, yeah, right? And so, like, 40 people... We're standing in the middle of the desert, and you can see nothing but brown hills and sand and desert, right? Truck comes and takes the bus away, and we're all standing there. About 30, 40 people with suitcases standing in the desert going like this. 
you had to think about the Israelites, right? True story. I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating either. And about 30 minutes later, in the distance, we could see another bus coming. Oh, man, thank you, Jesus. But, but, the Israelites, but, but God says, it's going to be like this desert. It's going to turn into to a beautiful garden, and it'll be with, with cypress trees and, and, this, and, and life and fruit. And he says, it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will never be cut off. That is you and me going out and sharing this message of salvation with others. Sharing the message of God's good covenant relationship with others. And if you're here today and you don't have that relationship, this morning's message is, is for you, for your salvation. Today is the day of salvation. God loves you. He wants to meet your needs. Come to the river of living water. Let him meet your needs, right? And Christian, we can go out with joy. We can go out with joy, like verse 12, and be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy as you carry the message and I share the gospel with others. Amen.